My name is Nikki Cody. <laughs> I'm one of the lead pastors here of Mercy Culture Waco, and I am so excited to be here tonight and to deliver a word that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart. Our vision here is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. And how we do that is through our membership process. We call it MC Connect. And if you guys have been here for a while and you're ready to become members, go online, you'll take a test. It's an amazing process. Has anybody done it in here? Does anybody want to testify how incredible it is? What it does is it leads us into um, a way that we connect with the Lord. It's like, um, it's what we do in our daily encounters. It gives us tools and a way that is easy for us to get into his presence. And you'll go on, you'll take this quiz, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm one that likes to crawl into my closet in the morning, and I love to just sit with him in his presence. And Pastor Landon tells the story all the time of how he goes out and he runs on the Trinity Trail. I don't know that I could do that. But I'm not going to say that I won't because I know the Lord, and I know that if I say I'm not going to do something, that's the very thing that he's going to tell me I have to do. So I'm not going to say that I won't ever do that, but you will find the way that you connect with the Lord. And what I think is really also amazing about this process is that you get all of the tools so that you can change up your encounters. And I, I connect with the Lord in the morning. I love to sit in solitude with him, and I love to get a word for the day. It's my daily bread, but it's not just one time a day that I connect with the Lord. As soon as I get in my car and I start driving to work, I feel his presence in my vehicle. So you don't have to put it to one time a day that you get to meet with the Lord. When I'm, as a mom, a lot of my time is spent standing in front of dishes or in front of the laundry machine. And I used to say, Lord, you, you know, I'm, I feel called. I should be going out to the nations and preaching a word. And the Lord really convicted me with this. And he was like, you go into the grocery store every week and you don't even look up. So how are you going to go to the nations and spread my word? So I begin to learn how to connect with the Lord in every space that I went into. And I begin to look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I begin to look up from my phone in the grocery store and I was amazed at the people that were around me that I could sense the presence of the Lord and that they were lost or they were hurting. And just to have that opportunity in the middle of a grocery store, I'm gonna take it. So go online, take MC Connect, learn how you best connect with the Lord, and let's go be the hands and feet of Jesus. I just want to thank the worship team right now. I've got my tissue up here because I'm probably going to cry this whole time. But thank you for leading us into his presence so beautifully, for not performing. You didn't come here to perform for all of us. And the reason why we get to enter the way that we do is because this is what she does in her closet. This is what she does in her home. Sometimes we have, um, in Fort Worth, and we'll start it here as well, we have worship room and we just fill the sanctuary with worship, whether it's one person or a whole band or it's just somebody sitting there in a chair praying. 
and I have stood and watched her with no music on, just on her knees worshiping before the Lord. Nobody to perform to, nobody to get accolades from, but just to be with her heavenly father. And so we get to benefit from her daily encounters and from this team's daily encounters. So tonight I thank you, I thank you. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. I bless you, I'm so excited for tonight. Um, the word for this year is the year of expanding territory. First Chronicles 4.10 says, Jabez called upon God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my borders, my territory, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from all harm and all evil, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. We have to be ready to take territory. We do this by encountering him every day. This is how we get the wisdom and the strategies we want to, to be equipped and to be empowered to go do the work of the ministry. We're called to be his hands and feet. And we want you to live in freedom and fullness of your purpose in this season. And if we don't know who we are, and more importantly, whose we are, we cannot take spiritual territory. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The, the uh, title of my message is Expanding Spiritual Territory Through Sonship and Authority. Let's pray. So, Father, tonight we thank you for already meeting us here, God. Father, we offer up our hearts to you tonight, Lord, and we ask that you search us out. You speak to us, Father. Pull the weeds, pull the dross, Father God, from our heart. We say it will never be ours, it will always be yours, Father. We didn't come tonight to hear me say anything, but we came tonight to hear from you. So, Father, this is all yours. It is all yours. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. When I prayed in tonight, into tonight, and it being Mother's Day, I want to honor all the mothers in the house, of course. But I had to ask the Lord, what do you have? What do you have for tonight? And he responded with this thing that came up out of my spirit. And he said, you cannot be a mother without first being a daughter. Now, we don't tailor our messages to holidays. So as it is tonight is Mother's Day, and I do honor each one of you. This is as much for the men in the room as it is for the women. You cannot be a father until you learn how to be a son, a son of God. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Have you given him access to be led by his presence? 
This year was probably one of the most important lessons that Pastor Les and I have learned in our entire lives. We learned that daily encounters are not an option. It is not a place of striving, but it is a place of being with him, of knowing him and being known by him. In the Greek, this word is used, it's called ginasko, and it's translated to know intimately. And in the Bible, usually they use that word when they're speaking of a man and a woman that come together to produce a fruit. It is intimacy that is beyond just knowing somebody. When we first came into the city, we'd asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, give us your heart for this city. And we said, Lord, we know that there are principalities of darkness that, that, that cause chaos in heavenly places. And so Lord, what are the things here in Waco that are trying to lift themselves up higher than your authority? And one of the principalities over the city of Waco was the orphan spirit. The people here have been abandoned. There's been a history of being abandoned. So it's not just physical, not knowing who their mother and father is. They don't know who their father is. So tonight, I want to show you that what we do when there is a principality trying to lift itself up higher than the God's authority, we lift up the opposite. So the opposite of the orphan spirit, we lift up adoption. Without first learning to be sons and daughters, you cannot then be fathers and mothers. And without walking in the identity of a father and a mother, you cannot have spiritual authority. And we cannot expand spiritual territory. Pastor Landon prophesied over us during our installation service. And one of the things that he spoke over us is that we were not entering this city as pastors anymore. But that Pastor Les and I were going to enter this city this time as spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It carries a different weight of authority. We have a value of stewardship. So in stewardship, this prophetic word, we are learning literally how to just sit and be his sons and daughters. But there is an attack on the identity of God's sons and daughters. In society today, everywhere that we go and every there, everywhere that we look, there is not just the um, distinctions being like blurred, but they're gone. They're trying to erase the lines. To understand this, I wanna go to Genesis, to the very beginning. Sorry, my notes just moved out of the way. So let's go to Genesis 1:27. Said, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. How can we bear the God's image? To bear something is to carry the weight of, to support, or to endure. It is to reveal, to open something to be, re to be viewed, or to abide. And my favorite, 
says to bear usually implies the power to to sustain without flinching or breaking. The Lord is raising up an army of sons and daughters to become fathers and mothers who will not flinch and who will not break. So I want you to feel that in your spirit tonight. You were made for such a time as this and you were made not to bend and not to break. The Bible says he will not give you more than you can bear. We were not created to bear the weight of this world, but we were created to abide in his weightiness of his presence. That's what we're learning to steward here at Mercy Culture Waco. It's not heavy physically, but it's a weight. It's a mantle. It's it's a comfort that he wraps us in his presence. And that is the place that everything changes in. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, you, do you know, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? This is where we learn to carry the weight of his name as sons and daughters. God designed us male and female to accomplish his plan. So creating you male and female You are to reflect and bear a facet of God's image and his heart. In Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make man in our image. And in walks Adam. He is male. He is masculine. He is strong. He is mighty. Because that's who God is. And he said he made him in his image. Adam was called to tend to the garden To tend is to take care of, it's to minister to, it's to watch over, and it's to look after. It was not supposed to be hard to tend to the garden. And I think about this in our daily encounters, and I think about our heart being the garden. If we are in our encounter, the Lord wants to show you those things in your life that become weeds. And if we'll tend to it every single day, it's just a weed here and it's a weed there and it's a weed there and it's easy in his presence. That's what he says. But if we don't tend to it every day and we let days pass by, it overgrows and it overtakes our heart and our heart becomes hardened and it chokes out the fruit that this city needs that Fort Worth needs, that Texas needs, that the United States needs, and that the world needs. We need the fruit that God has put in your life. So tend to it every single day. I was thinking, oh, another thing that he did, I'm sorry. Another thing that Adam was called to do was he was a call to sign, to assign names to the animals and everything that was in the earth. And I was thinking, when you assign something, You give it an authority. And I was thinking, I just pictured in my mind, if a dog walked into this tent right now, we may get a little like, okay, what is this dog going to do? A little nervous, but I mean, he's just a dog. Surely we'll be okay. But if a lion walked into this tent, I don't know of one of you that would sit still and allow him to come anywhere near you. He carries a different authority. 
So there is something about a name. And when God named each one of you, he has given you an authority to bear an image of him. But God wasn't finished. In Genesis 2, 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So in comes Eve. Eve was feminine and beautiful to look at. She was soft and she was kind and she was a support. In the, um, the second part of that scripture, Genesis 2.18, it says, I will make a fitting helper for him. In the Greek, the word konegdo means equal to him or opposed to him. A helper in part as to challenge him or encourage him to be all that he was created for. Also for him to do the same for her. Hebrew helper is literally, or helper in Hebrew is literally translated a helper who is equal to. The Hebrew word is called etzer, and it in no way implies an inferior role. God himself is called etzer more than a dozen times in the Hebrew Bible. It is used to refer to God in his strength and his power. It says, Aitzer, my sword and my shield. There is such power in these words. Aitzer. I just think it's beautiful. I do want to point out, since it is Mother's Day and in honor of our value that we empower women and we love women here, that it took one verse for God to create man. And it took six verses Genesis 2, 18 through 23, to describe the creation of woman, suggesting, just saying, that they took a little more care, a little more time, a little more effort on the existence of a woman. <laughs> the beauty of a woman who knows who she is is something to behold. I want you to think of a woman that you know knows who she is. And whether somebody here on earth may think that she's physically beautiful, when they walk in in the confidence of their father, they are one of the most beautiful people that you will ever get the gift of seeing, of meeting, of interacting with, if you know who your father is. But we are living in a time when all lines of distinction are not blurred, but they are being erased. The male-female distinction is part of God's order. And if he ordered it, it must be important. And this is not a political issue. I am not preaching a political message. This is something that was important to the Lord. If we partner with and cater to this world's view, we are literally erasing a facet of God. I believe there are many facets of God. If any of you have ever read Revelations, the way that they describe some of these angels with multiple heads and multiple eyes and wings, it's a little scary to our human mind, but I believe there are so many facets of the Lord and I can't help but think that every time the angels circle around the throne and they cry out, holy, 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 like we did tonight, you are holy, God. That every time they circle around the throne, 
they get a different facet of God. That's why it doesn't get old. That's why for all eternity, they are able to circle around the throne because in our human mind, we would think that would get old. But if you're seeing a different facet of him, what do you need from him tonight? What is his name to you tonight? Is he Jehovah Jireh? Is he Jehovah Nisi? Is he Jehovah Rapha, my healer, my defender, my banner? God has many facets. But we, as men and women, are supposed to reflect a facet of him here on this earth. But these facets are under attack. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? Romans 12, 2. We are in a battle of distinctions that God put into place. The world is polishing off the facets of his creation. We have to rise up as a church, not in religion. We cannot fight this war with religion, but in love and by speaking with God's truth. And you can't speak with God's truth if you don't know his truth and you don't know his word and you don't know the word. That is truth. Speaking to God, giving identities in this city, will you get loud? Will you be commissioned to bring the truth to this city? The Bible says in Psalms 1, 1 through 4, blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God. Do you want to be favored by God? Listen, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, following their advice and their example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers and ridiculers, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law, his precepts and teachings, he habitually meditates. It has become a habit to him. He habitually meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted by the waters and fed by streams which yield its fruit in its season. Its leaves do not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. He goes from boy to man, from son to father, and you go from from girl to woman, from daughter to mother. This is how we mature. But the wicked, those who live in disobedience to God's law, are not so, but they are like chaff, worthless and without substance, which the wind blows away. As I read that scripture preparing I was blown away because all I could think about were these conversations on Instagram and Facebook and in the news today, how they talk and talk and talk, but there is no substance to what they're saying. So when you're, the Bible says that we discern these things. That's the scripture that I read up, that we discern these things. So when you're in conversations and it sounds kind of good, you've got a lot, a lot of um, words that... Um, 
may mean something really powerful, but all put together for some reason, it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't, it seems like there's no substance to it. This is what the Bible is talking about. And you get to discern this. We have to learn as sons and daughters to abide. We need to get back to walking with him in the cool of the day. This was his plan from the beginning. This means even in the fire, we have to abide with him. He doesn't always save us from the fire. It's because he wants to meet us in it and bring us through it. Something happens in the fire. And if you think about gold and the way that they process gold, they put it in a really intense heat, a really intense fire. And it begins to bring up all the dirt and all the excess and all the extra metals and the the particles that don't belong there. And it makes the gold soft and pliable. This, to me, gives me a mental picture of what the refining process really is. It is a preparation season. If you feel like you are there tonight, you are in preparation. And I want to encourage you to lean into the preparation and don't push your way through it. Let him get out everything that's there that's not of him. Because we are called to head out into this city and we can't do it with all of the extra extra weight and extra yuck inside of us. So he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemy. And what I used to think was that I had to sit at a table with my enemy. But I believe what he was saying here was that we get to abide in the fire. And when the enemy is at one end of the table, we don't have to pay him any attention. We get to sit with our heavenly father and know that he has it handled and he has it taken care of. He's saying you have a seat with him, a place of rest and a place to dine with him and a place of honor to sit as his sons and his daughters. This was one of the hardest lessons of my life that I had to learn, was to remain at the table while being a doctor. A doctor, yeah, I'm a doctor, y'all didn't know that? (laughs) While being a daughter, and residing in the fire. (laughs) At this season that Pastor Les and I were in, we were in one of the most intense seasons of warfare of our lives. We were under some um, intense manipulation from some spiritual leaders. There was confusion. There was unexplained illnesses. And we know it now to be that it was an attack from like of Jezebel. It was Jezebelic. The Lord allowed us to go into the fire for a season to gain spiritual authority for the season that we would walk into next. I had lost my voice. We've done worship for about 18 years, and I developed, we did worship three services on Sunday, Saturday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night practice, and any time that I'm walking around the house, we're usually singing something May not be pretty, sometimes we sing like out of key and to be silly, (laughs) but it's fun. But I had developed some nodules on my vocal cords and I couldn't sing anymore. And it was months, months of having to lay down doing worship in church. And it wasn't about being up here and leading people in worship. I couldn't sing standing on the front row and I couldn't sing in my house. And 
Singing to me was my identity. It was all I knew how to do. I was born in a home that we didn't, we weren't a Christian family. My father was a musician and we had live bands in our living room every weekend. And this is the way that I was raised as a kid. It was just parties every weekend. But when my parents found the Lord and we went to church, that's all I ever wanted to do. I didn't want to leave that place of worshiping my father. So I had lost my voice. I had lost my identity. I was mentally and I was physically and spiritually exhausted. And at this time, in the same part of the season, my mother had been battling cancer for about a year. And we received word that the doctor said that there wasn't anything else that we could do for her. So in May, right after Les's birthday, I went to be with her and I got a hold of the grandparents. We got two of them sitting right here. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. This is Les's parents. <laughs> Um, the kids went and stayed with them and they went and stayed with the other grandparents and the great grandparents. And it was an awesome thing for me to not have to worry about them. I knew that they would be taken care of, but there was something that I didn't really understand was the impact of not operating in the role of a mother and the toll that it would take on me. So not only did I lose my voice and my identity, I wasn't even a mother and I was losing my mother. I had no peace. As her daughter and the youngest of five children, I felt like I had no authority to speak into her care or when the doctors would walk in the room and they would wanna give her all these medications that made her hallucinate and all the stuff that comes with it. I felt like I had no authority to even fight for her. I lost my voice so much and I was dealing with my siblings who I dearly love, but I'm the baby of five. And so I was just being naive and I needed to come to terms with the fact that mom was passing and I know you wanna believe for her healing, but it's okay, it, she's gonna pass. And I just remember getting so upset because I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak up for myself and I felt like I couldn't speak up for her. But even in my pain, he wants to invite you to sit at the table with him. In your pain and the things that you are going through, no matter how hard they are, he wants to, to meet you right where you are. I went into the, into the room one night. My dad had finally fallen asleep and she, she had been really restless. And this was a night that she had some clarity and I came in, and I just checked on her. I said, hey, mom, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm doing okay. She said, would you mind praying for me? I said, absolutely, mom, I would love to pray for you. And I laid my hands on her head, and I began to speak over her and pray for her and love on her. She said, when I prayed for her, that all the darkness left. When I finished praying for her, I felt her hand come up and touch my head. 
she began to speak in tongues. She began to weep. And she started speaking over me in such a way that I could physically feel something wrap around me. And it was the comforter that I recognize today. But something happened in that moment. And I don't know how to explain it, except for maybe by what the Bible talks about, a mantle being passed. There was a transfer from my mother to her daughter. And in pondering this and sharing this story with you tonight, the Lord showed me that it was a spiritual transfer, that it was a mantle that took me from operating as a daughter with no voice and no authority into the authority of operating as a mother. So I would not push past that season for anything in my life. We did not lose my mother. We know exactly where she is today. And though I, my heart may hurt and I may miss her, I know exactly where she is. And she used to tell us when we were kids, after she got saved, she said one of the biggest regrets of her life, and if she could go back and do anything in her life, she would go back and serve the Lord every day and with every breath that she had. The Lord gave me a revelation. She, a lot of times when somebody passes, they go into almost a comatose state. And the vision that the Lord gave me of this period of time, it was about six days that she stopped talking and stopped waking up. The Lord gave me a vision of a caterpillar crawling up and making its place, creating the cocoon to circle around it, to get all comfortable inside of it, and to be safe and just be secure. And then when it was ready, it would emerge as a butterfly and it would fly. And I felt like the Lord showed me that, that she was not struggling to leave this place, but that she crawled right into her father's arms and when it was perfect timing for her to take her last breath, she didn't leave this world. She was just with her father. That season, the Lord worked it for my good. And I learned to abide at the table even in my pain. I would need the authority as a mother in the next season that we were about to enter into. And I believe that process took me there. The Lord began to speak to us about Waco. We sat on it for about a year. We prayed over it. Pastor Les and I came up here and we visited. And we just got to go around the city and enjoy what the city had to offer, learn little secret places about it that you don't know unless you grew up here. Because all we knew was driving I-35 to Galveston or to San Antonio from Dallas, that's where we grew up, was there's gas stations, there's food places, and you stop to go to the bathroom. That's all we knew. So we came up here and spent a little while and just really got to fall in love with the city. We were released from our church and we decided to go ahead and make our way up here and we moved. Most of you have heard our story and if you haven't, I. Go, go watch it. It's online. 
Um, I don't want to, I can't get into all of it tonight, but I encourage you to watch it. Um, we made it to Waco and we found that we were expecting our fifth child. And I will tell you, my knees buckled. <laughs> <Mine too. laughs> You're we thought we were done with four, and I'm so grateful to have this child. I don't know if any of you have met Georgia Grace yet. Her name is Gigi, but she's a bit of a spitfire. And in keeping with that authority and uh, blessings and cursing lie in the power of your tongue, I'm going to say that she's a leader. <laughs> That's what I'm going to speak over my child. She is a leader. And so I'm going to ask for your prayers to, to be praying with us and how to steward and lead this little leader who thinks she is our leader. <laughs> so Gigi, we found out at about six months um, pregnant with her, we'd gone to a random doctor's, events, doctor's visit, and Pastor Heather was actually here with us, and they said, I think we see something that's wrong with her heart. Um, we don't believe this is what it is, but we're going to send you to another doctor. So we went to Temple. So they said the same thing. We see a little something, but this is so rare. There's no way this is what it is. We want to send you to Dallas, to a specialist. So we end up over, I don't know, three months, two months, period of time, going back and forth to all these doctors running tests. We found ourselves in Dallas, and they were doing an ultrasound, just a routine one. And same thing, he said, oh, I don't think this is it. And he's looking, and 45 minutes passes. An hour and 10 minutes pass. An hour and 45 minutes passed. Two hours later. He sat there really quietly, and he turned off the machine, and he said, I'll be right back. He got up, he opened the door, and in walked two doctors and we're us, said, can you guys come with us? And we're like, sure. So we walk out of the room, and as we begin to walk down the hallway, they are literally carrying a woman out of the room that we are about to walk into. So we recognize at this moment, this is not the good news room. So as we walk into this room, we sit down, and there was three, doc three or four doctors, and then there were psychiatrists, two of them, one for him and one for me. They begin to tell us that our daughter had a rare heart condition called um, truncus arteriosus, and it's when you're 10 weeks pregnant, 10 weeks gestation, there is a vein that runs through the center of their heart, and it's called a truncal vein. And it splits at 10 weeks to the pulmonary and the ventricular artery that pumps the oxygen in and out of the heart properly. That never split. So as long as she was in the womb, she was safe, and the oxygen was getting to her through the umbilical cord. But as soon as she was to be born, they were going to have to do a surgery at a day, two days old. They didn't know like when it would be. But when she was born, they were going to have to do a surgery and rebuild her heart. They noticed a hole. We go in. I can tell you this. I recognized the lack of peace in the last season of my life. So I was not willing to give up peace in this season. So one of the things that we learned in Hebrews 13, 15, it's, it uh, refers to a sacrifice of praise. We begin to praise anyways. And I can tell you, literally, it was, this keeps changing, sorry. It was one of the most 
peaceful pregnancies that I had, I'd had out of all five of our children. It was wonderful. We went to the beach. We hung out with family and friends. It was just peace because we had learned how to abide in his presence. And I did not want to give up that peace. What I had learned in this season is that I had went from striving in the last season to abiding in this one. I learned that a woman abiding is a beauty that cannot be described. It's feminine and it reflects a facet of the Holy Spirit that invites you to rest in his peace. It is comfort and it is a place of being held and it is healing. But the same is for a man and the facet that he reflects of the Holy Spirit. A man abiding is a reflection and a facet that reveals strength and masculinity and security, the security of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I learned watching my husband as I was going through this with this child in my womb. He was my strength and my security and he revealed the Holy Spirit to me in a way that he couldn't have unless he knew who he was. After that, we went to go give birth to Georgia and they started to hit us at the front door with fear. You need to have this baby right now. You need to get an epidural. You need to take Pitocin. We need to induce you because this baby's heart, your, your baby's gonna die. And I remember feeling that fear welling up in me and I was losing my voice again and I was forgetting where my authority came from. But my husband got to reflect this to me in his strength and he stopped, he made everybody leave the room, he grabbed my hands and he said, are we gonna give up peace at the finish line? You cannot give up your peace at the finish line. You cannot give it up. Abide in his presence and hold on to his peace as if you're wrestling with something. The contractions came on. They came back in the room. And I kind of wish he would have given a little bit different of a, a prayer. He said, Lord, if this is your timing, let those contractions come on. They came on and I couldn't catch my breath because they never came down. It was just one, 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 right after the other. But it was one of the most incredible births that I'd had in any of my pregnancies. Painful, yes, <laughs> but one of the most incredible experiences I'd ever had. It felt like the Lord took me to the brink of heaven when I birthed her because we passed the test of not giving up at the finish line. We had her two days later they decide it's time because she wasn't getting enough oxygen. And when they went in to look, they realized, well, there wasn't just the, the vein that didn't split, but there were holes in all four chambers of her heart. Same thing. We learned how to give a sacrifice of praise. When the doctors came in to take her, we said a prayer I had a tear roll down my face and I almost felt this fear start to come up. And it was like the peace of the Lord. No, it wasn't like it was the peace of the Lord that came and rested on us. And it was a joy that I cannot explain to you. 
It is the peace that surpasses all understanding. As they wheeled her down the hallway to go and take her heart out of her chest and completely rebuild the anatomy of her heart, joy was in that room. We turned up music. We, I don't know if any of you know who Tasha Cobbs is. <laughs> we turned on um, Chain Breaker, I think was the name of it. Um, what is the name of the song, do you know? Yeah, Break Every Chain. We turned on Break Every Chain in the room. And we had a few nurses and doctors kind of look at us and my husband said, whoa, 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 whoa. You do you and we're gonna do us. You go do your surgery, this is how we're gonna do our surgery, is we're gonna leave his presence in this room so that when she comes back in this room, she's gonna get to abide in the peace of the Holy Spirit. So that's how we ward. It turns out, her, she came back, they did the surgery, and every milestone that they said, that we were gonna be in there for six months, 45 days on the chest tube, she'd be addicted to morphine most likely, all of the things that they said, she began to wean herself, she began to pull out her heart tubes that you can't take out unless it's surgically removed. She began to heal in a way that the doctors could not understand. Les came in on, I think it was the third day or fourth day, and he asked the doctor, when can she have the chest tube removed? And they said, sir, I don't think you understand how serious this is. It'll probably be a month and probably 45 days because of the morphine. And he's like, okay, but my God. The guy leaves. The very next day, the, the nurse came in to give her her morphine because they stay on a schedule so that they don't come into like being in intense pain. And so the doctor came in to give her that and we just felt this like nudging of the Holy Spirit to question. Wait a second, does she have to have that? And she's like, well, yeah, we don't want her to, you know, we don't want her to come into pain. I know she looks peaceful right now, but we don't want her to come into that. And we said, we, we began to advocate on her behalf. And we asked, can you just try Tylenol? And we understand we're not against morphine, but could you just try to give her some Tylenol? And if she becomes in immense pain, you can give her the morphine. She took that Tylenol and never made a wince of her face, which that was a tell sign if they were in pain. She never struggled. She literally stayed laying in complete peace and rest the whole time. What was supposed to be six months turned into nine days. And the only reason we were there for nine days was because after four days, she was completely off of all medication, but they didn't know what to do. So we've never sent home a child after four days of a major heart reconstruction, reconstructive surgery. They brought in a camera crew and filmed our story and it was like, it was crazy. It was an absolute miracle. The Bible from start to finish proves how much God loves us. How he has put everything in its place. He is a God of distinctions, male and female, masculine and feminine, light, darkness, good, evil. It's so revelatory to know his plan and his purpose in creating us. 
To find true identity in the meaning in life apart from God is impossible because life comes from him. When we pursue our identity as a place to go to, we miss the forest for the trees. We miss the walk with him in the cool of the day and the way he intended us to, to dwell with him. As Adam and Eve did, we were made for the garden. We were taught as children that we have to study hard to graduate, to go to a good college, to get a good job, to get married, to have children, to attain our dreams. All the while, we're striving to get to the next milestone instead of encountering him every day and all of the beauty he has to unveil to us. All of the refinement needed for the next season, and we cannot be so focused on the destination that we end up wandering in the wilderness, not ready to go in and to possess the land. It is so easy in his presence. I want to share a perspective with you on how if we really knew who our father was and we recognize the authority that we get to carry and stand next to, there would be no shame. There would be no intimidation there would be no fear because we know who stands behind us, beside us, with us, and within us. You cannot be stopped with the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you and knowing who your Father is. In 2 Kings, there's a story of the king of Syria who was trying to invade Israel. And so he set up all these things in the valley trying to capture the king of Israel. It's 2 Kings 6, 11 through 23. You can rest, read the rest of the story sometime. But that's what he was trying to do. But the king of Israel kept evading him and he couldn't figure out why. So in 2 Kings 6, 11 through 23, it says, the king of Israel knew the place of the king of Syria. The king of Syria was enraged over this. And he asked his servants, which one of us is helping this king? They said, none of us, but the prophet Elisha is telling the king of Israel the words that you are saying in your bedroom. That's what a prophet does. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks to you about things that are in hidden places. He says that hidden things will be revealed. So they plotted to seize Elisha. They came late at night. There were horses and chariots and a powerful army all in the field. The servant of Elisha rose early and saw. He asked, what are we going to do? I cannot imagine looking out over a field and seeing everybody against me. Elisha answered, do not be afraid. For those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. If we could get that perspective of the army that stands behind us. So Elisha prayed. He said, Lord, please open his eyes so he may see. And the Lord 
opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. God, open our eyes tonight. Let us see the chariots of fire and the angels that stand around us to take this city. The story goes on to say that Elisha asked the Lord, strike the Syria army with blindness. In accordance with Elisha's request, God did it. And I believe that Elisha knew that he was the son. He was a son of God. He knew where his authority came from. So I believe it was easy for him to ask, Lord, strike them with blindness right now. Elisha went down and told them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the men you seek. He led them into the city and he asked the Lord then to open their eyes. And they were standing right in the middle of Samaria. The king of Israel asked two times, shall I kill them? He finally had the enemy in his, on his grounds in his battlefield. So he had to ask twice, are you sure? Can I kill them? Elisha said, no, I want you to give them bread and water so they may return to their master. He did just that. He gave him more. They prepared a feast. I'm sorry, this moved again. They prepared an entire feast for them. They gave them bread and water so that they may return full to their master. He didn't just feed them, he prepared a great and large feast. Let them drink and let them eat until they were full. And the very next line it says, and the marauding bands of Aram did not come into the land of Israel again. We have to stay at the table, not focused on the enemy. When we don't engage that foul spirit, but we continue to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to care for the widow, and to mother and father the orphans, the orphans resisting engaging with the enemy, he will flee. The Bible says, no weapon formed against me will stand. Jesus called out evil. He spoke to demons with authority and he was angry and he sinned not. It's okay to be angry, but we cannot step into the court of the accuser of the brethren. Are we going to rise up against the principalities in our city and claim the lost and the hurting, the widow, the orphan? Will you expand the tent and take this territory? The world needs you, created in their image to reflect his love, each one of you to reflect a facet of God. And Revelations 12, 11 says that you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And this city needs your testimony because there are things that you have had to walk through that I will never understand. And I, in turn, cannot minister to somebody that has gone through the same thing. But the same goes for each one of you. We need the facet of God that he chose to present on this earth that 
can only be reflected in what he's created you to be. Are we going to answer the cry in the city as the mothers and the fathers? If you've been struggling with identity, if you've been struggling trying to find your voice, trying to find the authority, I want you to come up here. I want you to stand up and I want you to come to the front and I want you to let the Holy Spirit minister to you tonight and to tell you who you are. Tonight, I want you to open your mind and I want you to dream bigger because God has bigger things in store for you. He has bigger things in store for this city. And if we're not willing to go and expand the tent pegs, there will remain orphans in this city. And I don't know about you, but I am not willing to let that happen. In Isaiah 54, I was in my encounter this morning and I was done with my sermon and I was closing up my book and I heard out of my spirit, like I felt it like a punch in my gut. He said, Isaiah 54. And I can't tell you what Isaiah 54 says from the top of my mind. But I pulled out my phone really quick and I opened it up and I wanna tell you what Isaiah 54 says. This is after I prepared this whole thing. He says, shout for joy, O barren ones. She who has not given birth, break forth into joyful shouting and rejoice. She who has not gone into labor for the spiritual sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the sight of your tent. Enlarge the size of your tent to make room for more children. You can't make this up. He spoke it to me and I didn't even know what it was. Enlarge the side of your tent to make more room for more children. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare them. Lighten your tent ropes and make your stakes firmly planted in the ground. For you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will take possession of nations and will inhabit the deserted cities. Do not fear, fear go. Holy Spirit come tonight. He said, do not fear for you will not be put to shame and do not feel humiliated or ashamed for you will not be disgraced. The church has to rise up in this time, in this season. We as a church, as sons and daughters are learning to abide in him and how to dwell with him because it's easy to hear him in, the, in his presence. We are learning to cry out for righteousness, not partnering with this world, but calling it higher. We cannot partner, we have to call it higher. Asking the Lord to bring heaven's justice to earth. 
Warfare is easy in his presence. And we are keeping our seat at the table. We are going to sit in the presence of the Lord and we are going to ignore our enemy. We will know his tactics. We will be as gentle as doves and as wise as a serpent, supernaturally expanding spiritual territory by not bowing to the ways of this world. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Do you know who your father is tonight? You are his sons and daughters. It's time to open your mouth and to recognize whose you are, to take back what the enemy has stolen from our inheritance, to cry out for righteousness, to return to our land. Don't you see that there is more for us than them? There is more than us. Men, recognize your sonship. Go through maturity into fatherhood because we need fathers in this city. Mothers, women, mature. You are daughters of the Most High King. Mature into your role of a mother. You were called to intercede on the behalf of those that cannot speak for themselves. We will cry out we are joint heirs with Christ. We walk in the authority of our Father. Do not therefore fling off your fearless confidence, for it has glorious and great reward. Lord, you So tonight, will you cry out? 
with me? Will you cry out for the lost? Will you cry out for the one outside of these walls of this tent? Will you cry out with me for them, for the orphan, for the widow that is in this city, for reconciliation of this city from the east side to the west side, from the north side to the south side? It will be reconciled back to the Lord. We claim this ground tonight. It is yours, Jesus. It is yours, Jesus. Waco is yours. 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 Jesus on earth as it is in 